very rarely in the course of, I don't know, our lives, the week, do we ever come to a moment in time when we know for certain all across the country everyone is praying the same prayer, right? I mean, we, you would hope, like, pray for peace or goodwill for mankind, that kind of thing, but uh, we find ourselves in that kind, of, that kind of time tonight as all across our country, and, and most likely here in this room, uh, there, are, there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people praying, Lord, help me win the Powerball tonight. <laughs> So, so take a moment of silence if you are one of those people. Get that out of your system. Stop thinking about what you're going to do with $900 million. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah. There's a reason most of us don't have that kind of money. And remember why we are here to worship to gather, to adore, to have a little bit more of Jesus Christ revealed in our lives. Um, I will say, you know, I was going to make a joke about, um, you know, if you do win the Powerball, you know, make sure that you tie. Um, I'm sure I could find something to do with that around here. But uh, I, I, I will say, you know, when it comes to financially, you know, we do have some, you know, we don't always have a uh, a lot of money as a church, as a conference, a denomination. Um, but we do have some programs set up for people when it comes to managing money, whether it's large amounts or small amounts or anything else. So uh, we have this organization, wonderful, and it's seated. It's a, it's a global organization. You know, the United Methodist Church is a global church. Uh, and so we have a lot of things like a Cokesbury. You're familiar with Cokesbury. That's our bookstore. Uh, they're located down in Nashville, right? And there's a lot of things located down in Nashville. There are things located overseas. Um, but one of the things located right here in Chicago is the United Methodist Foundation, and that does help you, um, whether you're investing, whether you're looking for retirement, whether you're looking, well, what do I do, you know, after, after I'm gone? How do I support for my family? Um, or how do I get my life back on track? The, the United Methodist Foundation has a lot of really great programs and a lot of really great advice. So, you know, we're all part of that. That's something that's accessible for you. You can just Google United Methodist Foundation if you're having questions or need some financial help, um, that, that's a free resource to United Methodists ac across the globe. So um, in all seriousness, that's something that uh, we, we do uh, and can take part of. So um, that's my little ad for the United Methodist Foundation tonight, uh, and uh, we can go from there. So let us have a, a real time of prayer. Again, take your moment and pray that you win the Powerball. I hope you do too. Um, you know, it would be nice if somebody I knew had some money. So... Um, <laughs> I'm always praying that that might be one day. Uh, but let us, uh, let us be in, in, a, in a real mind of prayer. Lord, we do thank you. Uh, we do thank you for getting together. We thank you for coming together for worship, to come, to honor you, to pray, to be real, to be vulnerable, to be open, to hear and, and to be revealed what so much you have to say to us tonight and this day. Shed your spirit upon us, open us to all that you have to share, and let us leave tonight transformed in every way, following your Son, Jesus Christ, to your kingdom, today and always. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Uh, we're going to transition our young people, Miss Whitney back there, uh, our K through 5th graders um, can go uh, for a special time. Uh, of course, we do have nursery as well, everyone's invited to stay here. And our young people will return at the end of service. All right, so uh, we're, we're still in Epiphany. We introduced that last week. Epiphany is a season of studying and, and reading and dealing with stories that reveal Christ's nature to us. And, of course, the, the paramount story is the story of the Magi, the three kings, the wise men, and we talked about that at great length last week. So I want to continue this week and next week. Um, I want to continue on that theme of Epiphany trying to understand who is Jesus to me and, and how does that change me. Now we're going to read a story. It's a longer story, so I'm not going to read it in bulk. I'm going to split it up. It comes from Luke 2, uh, the end of Luke 2. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a story that we don't always read, and I'm going to tell you why, because there's a lot in it. And so I, I want you to picture tonight as maybe uh, if you've ever made spaghetti, 
I, I don't know if it was Graham Kerr. Are you familiar with Graham Kerr? The, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, his show name. He, he was a chef. One of the first. Galloping Gourmet. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, one of the, the first TV chefs. Um, that, that was big in there. But um, I, maybe it was him, maybe it was somebody else. But I always remember, uh, you know, I learned at a young age watching the, the you know, public uh, broadcasting food channels that uh, if you want to make really good spaghetti, you boil it, and then you take some of it and you throw it up against the wall, right? And then if it sticks, you know it's good, right? Yeah, well, that's see if it sticks. That, that's what I'm getting at. So I'm going to throw a lot at you metaphorically. I did not bring spaghetti. I ate it all. Um, so I didn't bring any spaghetti to throw at you. But I'm going to throw a lot at you today, and my prayer is that something sticks. Uh, maybe it won't be everything. Um, you know, I, I don't think you could, could walk away with everything, but I'm going to throw a lot at you, and I'm hoping that something uh, sticks in terms of how you understand who Jesus is and how that impacts your life. Uh, so let's start Luke chapter 2. <coughs> Verses 21 through 24. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. It is not on your screen because uh, it's a lot. So uh, if you have your Bible with you, Bible app, uh, make sure that's why you bring your Bible. Um, uh, make sure that you are following along. If not, you can just listen to what I'm saying. When eight days have passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing, in accordance with the law from Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice, in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now we often skip this passage for obvious reasons, because I, I, I guarantee if I just asked somebody randomly, and I won't, so don't get nervous. Uh, what the heck did I just read? You probably would not necessarily, except for the first thing, uh, be able to tell me much about what's going on there because we don't have the same kind of rituals post-birth that the Jewish people did in the day. You know, when, when a baby is born, and as I said last week, we got some babies coming in my family, my extended family, um, which is really exciting. Uh, but, you know, after a baby's born uh, here in the United States, our major two concerns are keeping it alive, right? And, and maybe, God willing, a couple hours of sleep in those first six months. I mean, that's really the two things. That, there's not like a, a laundry list of things. Well, you know, day one I have to do this, and then I, you know, I got to go to church on day seven, and, you know, uh, you know, and do this and that and all those other things. And, you know, I got to see grandma, and, you know, all that. We just don't do that. But in the ancient Jewish tradition, they had several things that had to be done, and each one is very, very significant. And so we don't read this, and we don't go over this very often, and we say, oh yeah, this happened, but uh, this is really important, and this actually reveals to us a little bit about who Jesus was, and, and, and I think it can reveal a little bit about how uh, we connect with Jesus. Um, so the first ritual, there's three rituals in this uh, short part of the story that I've read, and there's more to the story. But in this first part, there's three rituals, and the first one is probably the one we're most familiar with, although I just had a conversation with uh, one of the cousins who's about 25 who is having twins here in six, six months, and she had no idea what this was. So um, apparently it's not as familiar as I thought it was. Um, uh, the ritual of circumcision, right? Uh, and so if you don't know what that is, uh, I'm not going to tell you. Go Google it. Um, just turn your safe search on for God's sakes. And um, so, I mean, it's, it's a common medical procedure these days. But in ancient Israel tradition, it was not just a medical procedure. It was a ritual and it was a sign dating back to the time of Abraham of the covenant between God and God's people. It was something like all of the law. Remember the law of Moses, those 613 commandments. All of those were designed to set the Israelites apart, to make them holy, to make them different. So that other people would see through them God. And so they wore different clothes and they ate different food and, and, and they had all of these restrictions. And so obviously very, very really, right, um, physically, this was a sign of the covenant on each man in Israel. And so Jesus was circumcised. It was always done on the eighth day. 
always done on the eighth day. It was so important. It, it was elevated to such an important uh, 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 level that even on the Sabbath, when no work was to be done, a baby could be circumcised and should be circumcised if, in fact, the Sabbath, Saturday night, right, or Friday night, Saturday morning, I should say, uh, was, in fact, uh, that eighth day. Um, Jesus probably was circumcised uh, maybe in a house, maybe at a local church if there was a local synagogue in Bethlehem. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the tradition of the moil, which is current uh, in Jewish culture, was alive in Jesus' time, um, but probably by a priest or somebody who was kind of an elder. Uh, they did not go to Jerusalem to the temple. That's where I'm getting at, and why is that important? Well, I'll tell you here in a couple of seconds. Um, they did not travel to do this. This was just something that was local. Um, so that was the first ritual. Now, the other two rituals we probably have no connection with because they're so, so strange for us. And there's just things we don't do. Um, the second ritual is one that's really easy to miss here in this story. And it's the Jewish tradition that every firstborn male was sacred to God. Um, this was true for, for humans and for cattle, I guess. I don't, I'm not really sure. But so the same thing, uh, it, it's called the redemption of the firstborn. Every firstborn child, whether a human baby or a cow, um, sacred to God, and, and so sacred to God, and you see this actually theme throughout the Bible, so sacred that they belonged to God. They were God's property. All right? Now, now this may go back to some ancient non-Israelite tradition about uh, sacrificing the firstborn, which of course would not be very effective in a culture where you needed to have more babies to survive, right? In a world where you need more babies to survive. Uh, um, but it was, it, that's kind of how it, w it was thought. So um, if you had this baby, this was your firstborn child, and it was a boy, um, you needed to go to the temple and you needed to buy it back, <laughs> right? That literally, you needed to buy the baby back and buy the cow back or, you know, buy the cattle back um, because it was God's. And so there was this offering, a monetary offering. It wasn't like a metaphorical offering. It was actual money. You had to go to the temple to pay to get your child back. Right? It's interesting, right? It's not something that we do today. Um, maybe we should start doing it. I mean, just trying to fill in the budget as much as we can, uh, whatever works. Uh, this could not happen, interestingly enough, prior to 31 days after the birth of the child, um, but had to happen soon after. Um, so Jesus was probably circumcised locally in, in Bethlehem, um, uh, and, and then they traveled probably at a month, month and a half, up to Jerusalem to have this rite done, and then the third rite. Uh, the final ritual was the ritual of purification after childbirth. And ladies, if you've never read the 613 Laws of Moses, a lot of them have to do with you and, and how unclean you are. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't write it. It's not my fault. Don't hate on me. C call up Moses. When you get to heaven, say, Moses, we have to have some conversation. Moses and Paul, I think every woman should probably have some conversations with, uh, caused a lot of problems over the years. So, so a woman was considered unclean after childbirth. Um, and and for, for an extended period of time, and, and what that meant in the society was a, a woman who was unclean really shouldn't, uh, well, was barred from going to the temple. You could not go to church if you were unclean, right? And, and, and you couldn't really participate in the life of the community if you were unclean. All right? and, and there's a lot of different ways. You know, if you, men and women, if you touched a dead body, you were unclean. If you, you know, if you were a shepherd, you were unclean, and all this different stuff. Uh, you, you know, if you had any blood and you were unclean, obviously that's where we're getting here uh, and some other things um, for the lady folks. But uh, if you had a boy, this is where you're going to get real upset. Um, if you had a boy, you were unclean for 40 days. If you had a, a girl, you were unclean for 80 days. So, sorry. Um, I, I did not write that part, um, and, and we don't do that anymore, so it's okay. Uh, but, so, but, but that gives us a timeline, at least. So we know that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus went to Jerusalem probably around 40 days, right, um, after he was born, so that they could uh, uh, pay for redemption of the firstborn, and then make a sacrifice, and that's how you got clean, right? You went to the temple and you made a sacrifice, two pigeons or two turtle doves. Does that sound familiar? There's a song, a Christmas song, right? And the second day, my true love gave to me, almost like 
that song was written to teach us something about our faith. Oh, wait, it was. Uh, we're not going to go into that. I've done that in the past. Uh, what that song teaches us, it's not just this fun little song. It actually teaches you uh, catechism. It teaches you about the doctrine of the church. And so the two turtle doves representing the sacrifice here um, to be purified. Um, so this was called, uh, um, the, two, the two turtle doves, uh, was called the um, offering of the poor. Because if you really wanted to be clean, you would offer a pigeon and a lamb um, Mary and Joseph, remember this was before the Magi came. The Magi came probably, you know, months, years later. Um, so they didn't have all that nice stuff yet, right? Uh, so they were still poor and they couldn't afford it. So this was the offering of the poor. And again, this gives us a little bit of an insight into the nature of Jesus. Okay, so why is all that important besides, you know, parties you're going to go to this week and impress your friends? Um, it establishes a few things. And again, this is the spaghetti against the wall. First of all, Jesus was a Jew. Uh, Luke, Matthew, especially, very important. They want you to know Jesus is Jewish. His family lived by the law. He lived by the law. He lived without sin. He followed all the rules. He was connected to God from day one and continued to be connected to God all of his life. Secondly, Jesus came from humble beginnings. He was a king, but he was born into poverty. So this idea of this wealthy, powerful king turned on its head as here is a peasant, pauper king. And most importantly, all of these rituals, all three of these rituals, establish that life, especially the life of a child, a baby child, are gifts from God. And Jesus ultimately is God's greatest gift to us. So when we come to worship, when we come joining in our rituals, we come giving thanks to God for all of those gifts, especially the gift of life and the gift of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to the second part of our story. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, if you're following along with me. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the, Lord, uh, seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. Led by the Spirit. There's a lot of, just aside, this isn't in the Bible. Um, there's a lot of Spirit talk, and remember this is before Pentecost, so the Spirit hadn't come on the church, but the Holy Spirit's you know, alive and well here, just an aside. So back to the story. Led by the Spirit, he went to the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law, what we just talked about. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all people. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Jesus' father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword that will pierce your innermost being, too. The first part, a little bit better than the second part for Mary there, but that was the story. So the people of Israel, just to give some background here, lived in expectation, this time especially, lived in expectation. The expectation that God would restore them, that God's kingdom would become real in the world. And there were many Israelites, many men especially, who believed that God was going to do this from the Messiah. The Messiah would come and would be a great king, create a large army, and conquer the world. So they, they literally thought God would come down and help them rule the world. And that's how God's kingdom would be established, by military power across the world. That was not all of them. That was some groups, all right? But there were other groups known as the quiet in the land. Simeon was part of this group that waited prayerfully 
that waited for salvation with expectation and hope in a peaceful, nonviolent way. They didn't expect God's sword to come down. They expected salvation in a way that maybe they couldn't understand. So these were spiritual people. These were humble people. These were people of prayer, people who waited. Simeon and then Anna, who we're going to talk about next, part of this group, these people who just waited prayerfully for God. Simeon is moved when he sees Jesus because that expectation has now been made reality. That hope for so many years that he had been praying for had been made real because he had this insight into the future of this child called Jesus. And this is what it says. I mean, just to break it down a little bit. Simeon says Jesus will be the cause of the falling of many. Now, we may not want to read all this, but it's in here. It's kind of a rough statement to digest, right? Jesus will be the cause of the falling, falling of many. It's difficult, but I think there's a lot of great truth here in this, this statement. We often see God as what judge, jury, executioner, right? Kind of like evil Santa Claus. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows if you've been bad or good, right? So be good for goodness sake. And that's kind of how we see God. But the greatest judge of any person isn't God. It's that person. The greatest judge of any human being is themselves. When we are confronted with Christ, we have to respond. Uh, That's why we believe that the the way to make disciples, the way to share the good news is to lead people to Christ, to expose them to Christ in a various manner of ways. And so if we are confronted with Christ, we have to respond. We can respond with repentance, with adoration. We can run to Christ and therefore be saved. Or we can also run from Christ, meet Christ with fear, with anger, with hatred, and therefore cause ourselves to stumble, to fall, have our fate be sealed in a different way. In the same breath, Simeon also says Jesus will cause many to rise. When we follow Christ, Christ lifts us up. Christ not only saves us, but empowers us, encourages us, brings us new life. And through Christ, all things are possible. Jesus lifts us out of sin into the good light of God now and forever. Finally, Simeon says, Jesus will be a sign that generates opposition. Now, when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's not a multiple choice test. It's not Jesus Christ, B, C, or D, right? Either we choose to surrender our own lives to Jesus Christ and take on the new life he has to offer us, or we hang on to our own life. And we could argue that it's, you know, sometimes progressive, that, you know, we give up a little, but we hold on to a little, right? But in the end, it's really a battle between Jesus Christ and ourselves. Do we want the good life, the good news, the new life Jesus Christ has in store for us, or do we want to continue to hold on to our control, our suffering, our pain, our failure? When we choose ourselves our way, we are opposed to Christ. When we choose darkness, we are opposed to light. And you see these themes here of darkness and light. Simeon says Jesus will be a light for revelation. I love that. That's why that's the title of the sermon. Jesus will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which is all of us, right? God is light, and therefore in the presence of Jesus Christ, nothing can be hidden. The darkness cannot coexist with the light. And we see these themes in John over and over again. Therefore, Simeon reveals something very important. When we come to Christ, nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. Our innermost thoughts are revealed like a sword that pierces our very being, our innermost being. I mean, the man was giving us a lot of metaphor right here, right? But, But he wasn't trying to mince words. He says, nothing will be hidden. It's like Jesus has a just a a window into your soul like a sword that pierces your innermost being away from christ it's easy to see that you're good right it's easy to convince yourself to justify your actions to say i'm not that bad i've done pretty good for myself i've 
you know, been nice and, you know, I'm kind and, you know, raised a couple kids and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've not killed anybody, right? You know, I've not hurt anybody today, right? Even sometimes our most evil and repulsive actions, we find ways to justify. But when you come face to face with Christ, you see yourself for who you really are. It's like a mirror that's been set up to your innermost being, as Simeon says, right? It's like you can't hide. You see yourself for all that you are. And that would be very depressing if Christ came to judge us. It would be very depressing if John 3.16 said, and God sent His only Son into the world to judge you and tell you that you are a piece of crap, right? That would be very depressing. But faced with all of our mistakes, all of our failures, all of our sins, everything we've done to hurt ourselves and other people, all of the darkness in our heart, Jesus Christ, God, still loves us. Still came to save us. Still wants us to be a family member. A son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. And I think Simeon would agree that Christ was worth waiting. Now that leaves us to our final little vignette here, picking up in verse 36. Last couple of verses. There was, so I mean, they've, they've been doing all these rituals and then, you know, Simeon says all this weird stuff and, and now there's this lady that comes. So there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of some guy whose name I can't pronounce, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. The Bible didn't say that. That was my commentary. Um, she was very old. Some names I just can't pronounce. You know, it just happens. Uh, after she was married, she lived with her husband for seven years. She was now 84 years old. She had been a widow for a long time, right? She never left the temple area, but worshipped God with fasting and prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment, that awkward moment where Mary's like, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, and she approached that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here we have Anna, a woman who was also expecting and waiting for Christ, waiting for salvation, waiting for the Messiah. She was one of the quiet in the land. But it's not her words. You know, Simeon says all these great metaphors, and you know, he's got the Holy Spirit, so that's cool. But it's not her words that really teach us something about Christ. It's her actions. And I think it's not just her actions. It's her, her very personality, even though uh, you know, it, it, it's a very short description of that. I think we learn a lot about who this is and about who we should be when confronted with Jesus Christ. First of all, she was 84 years young, I'll say. That's not what I have written but I'll say young. The scripture, they, I don't, people didn't live as long as they did back then, so that was pretty good age, but uh, these days, we're living a lot longer. The scripture gives us a little background. She was married. Her marriage lasted seven years, and her husband died. No, no uh, sense of remarriage here. It never is easy, right, to lose someone you love. Never easy. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many funerals I've been to, five, six, seven hundred, uh, over the course of my life. But never easy to lose someone you love. And especially some of the most painful experiences are, are losing someone you feel like you didn't have enough time with, right? Someone who you love, but man, you just, you just needed more time. And I think this was, this was Anna's situation. She was married and and you can, we can get into arranged marriages and all that kind of stuff. We, you know, we don't know any of that. Let's just pretend that she was in love with her husband, right? And it was great. And then he died when she was 20, 27, depending on when she got married. And then she lived the rest of her life alone. Her suffering could have changed her. It could have made her angry. It could have made her bitter, Right? could have made her broken, cold. But here we find this 84-year-old woman widowed for decades, joyous, with energy, praising, thankful, 
grateful. Suffering can create this chasm between us and God, or, as Anna teaches us, it can bring us closer together. It can actually heal us. It can actually bring us close to Christ. But there's another, there's a couple other things. But Anna never loses hope, and I, I think that's, that's important. It's not easy to get older, right? And even, even, it's even harder when life kind of just doesn't turn out the way we were hoping it would turn out, right? When things tend to go wrong, and here's Anna's story, I don't think things went the way she wanted them to be, but she never loses hope. Even in a very hopeless world she lived in, a world where she was under Roman occupation, a world where widows were not, they, she did not have social security, remember? There was no welfare, there was no way... And, and, you know, the temple was supposed to pay for the widows and the orphans, but guess what? You know, some of the rich folks, the priests and the scribes, they pocketed that extra money, right? They used it to help, help fund what they wanted to do. And, and so there was some injustice happening here in this world, as there is injustice in our world. But she didn't let that get her down. She didn't let life get her down, but she celebrated each day. She celebrated each year. She saw them all as gifts from God. Life, we've already learned, is a gift from God. And Anna just is the embodiment of that theology. As long as we live, there's still opportunities to experience joy, still opportunities to experience hope, still opportunities to experience Christ in our life. And at her older age, Anna was able to experience what she had hoped her entire life to experience, salvation. For her people. Now we also have to see that Anna devoted herself to worship day and night. She was in the temple. Remember, the temple wasn't like a church. It was like a, I mean, made Willow Creek look like the chapel, you know, at the side of the road. I, I mean, the temple was this massive, massive structure with thousands of people all over uh, night and day, and you could sleep there. You know, there were all kinds of different things you could do. <clears throat> One of the greatest treasures we have today in 2015, is the church, Christ's body, the church. Christ established the church to empower us, to develop us, to continue to do God's good work, to do kingdom-building work, to do transformative work. Anna gave her life to God in a very real way, praising, worshiping every day of her life. Life in Christ is only truly complete when it's paired with Christ's body, the church. Finally, Anna never stopped praying, and not for the Powerball, right? She never stopped praying. She never stopped praying. She stayed in communication with God 24-7. I'm sure private prayer got her through the tragedy in her youth, but I think it also kept her alive and vibrant in her older age. I imagine she prayed for God's salvation for her people every day. Maybe every hour, maybe every waking moment, she was praying for that, for, for that day when God would save his people. And on that day, Mary and Joseph brought their baby. That day was realized. Her prayers were finally answered. So Anna, not by her words, not by her, you know, the cool things she says, the whole sword thing's kind of neat, right? I, I mean, she, she doesn't say anything at all. But by her actions. She teaches us never give up, to rely on God for all things. She had this unwavering devotion to Christ and, 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 would, teach us, uh, and, and would teach us later uh, in his life. She would teach us to stay close to God, to pers persevere no matter what. The good news is the assurance that we don't do this alone, but that we are part of something bigger, Christ's body, the church. And that means God is alive in us, and encourages us in all things. So it's spaghetti, right? <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. But it's good stuff. And, and, and I hope there's something in there, and I'll just quickly go over it again. But uh, in, in long form, no, uh, in short form. Uh, I, I just hope there's something in this weird story about these things that Mary and Joseph had to do that, that says something a little bit more about how Jesus is part of your life. It reveals a lot about Christ's nature, even though he was just this little baby, right? He didn't really do anything in this story except probably cry. I won't tell you which part he cried at, but you can fill in the dots, 
right? They didn't have a lot of anesthesia back then, right? So, through these rituals, the family took part in. We're reminded that Christ was a wonderful gift from God. That we should meet Christ with adoration, with thanksgiving. But also that all life is that kind of gift. And that should inform how we treat ourselves. Mostly, that should inform how we treat other people. Simeon taught us that in Christ, we have a light that reveals all things in the darkness. When faced with Christ, we cannot hide. But in Christ, we can be transformed because Christ came to save us, not to judge us. Finally, in Anna, we see this life dedicated to God, dedicated to Christ from that moment on, I believe. A life that perseveres no matter what happens or how long it lasts. In Christ, God is present in each of us. And we have strength to do and endure all things. I continue to pray for you this epiphany that Christ has revealed to you in a new and transformative way. Amen. Next week, we'll finish talking about the young Jesus as uh, we then skip ahead to year 12 and uh, see what Jesus was up to when he was 12 years old, because that's all the story we got, right? So let us respond to so much good news. Hard to believe I could fit it in half an hour. With the Apostles' Creed. So let us read this together, affirming our faith and what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us turn now to the prayers of the people. Remembering all of those who aren't here, remembering all of those who are working now to keep our roads safe for the week uh, or for the drive home. Uh, remembering all those who are in the hospital, those who are uh, living under oppression, those who are living in poverty, those who are living in situations without any good news, and help us become conduits of that. Uh, so I will uh, pray, right? And uh, after I say a little short verse, you will, I will end with, uh, Lord, in your mercy, and you will say, and then towards the end of this, I will give you an opportunity to lift up any names that you would like to lift up to the great cloud of witnesses uh, to uh, bring to God's attention uh, tonight. Of course, you don't have to do that, but sometimes we uh, certainly feel better if we uh, say those names aloud. So let us be in an attitude of prayer as we pray. Lord, once again, we thank you for this epiphany season for so many revelations in these early, often overlooked stories of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us not only fill in the gaps, but help us fill in the gaps in our own lives and, and, and have your Son revealed to us in a new way this week, this year, so that we may truly be new people. Lord, tonight we pray for the people of new life. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for those who suffer and those who are in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for the concerns, however big or small, of our community. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for our world, its leaders, and all of its people. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for the church, its leaders, its members, and its mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ so that this world may be transformed. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, now we lift up the names of anyone we would just like to 
share just an extra moment of grace with this week? Lord, in your mercy. 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 Lord, we lift up these names and so many to your care. We ask that you just continue to help us truly be your presence in the lives of all those who have been named and so many who are in our world, everyone who we are put into place with, everyone who we run into, everyone where we step foot in the same place, that if we are called to share your good news, to share your grace, to share your love, your compassion and mercy, that we do so. Lord, we pray for all of these and all of the communion of saints. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Let us now turn to uh, receiving our offerings and gifts for the work of our church. Uh, so we uh, can collect our offering at this time. As we do, I'll uh, share a few announcements. Uh, Taste of New Life following worship. We have uh, kind of tentatively planned our schedule of events for this year. Uh, so our first event is February 7th. And uh, on the back it says Big Game Party. Uh, we're also calling it a Super Bowl Party. Soup. Soup. And we are doing that because um, we are going to be gathering together here February 7th at night. I believe that's a Sunday. Uh, because there's a game on the TV and we're going to watch that game or it will be on and somebody may care. Um, but, you know, we haven't and we ask people to bring finger food, appetizers, things to um, snack on. But we're also asking if you're going to come and invite your family and friends. It's a nice time of celebration uh, and we've done it for years and it's always been a good time. Uh, we're asking to bring a gift for our local food pantry. Uh, so that's why we're calling it the Super Bowl because you can bring cans of soup. Um, right? Uh, or anything else. So some canned goods. So we thought about, um, you know, bringing items in for the paper angel closet, but we thought it would be nice to help a, another pantry outside of our own. Uh, so uh, we're going to uh, collect items for the old stone food pantry up in Rockton, which helps families here. Um, so bring a can of soup, bring, you know, um, goods that can't be perished. What do we call those? Non-perishable goods. That's the, the technical name. Or whatever I said probably works too. Um, and I do thank you. Uh, we got um, uh, confirmation for the, the Paper Angel Closet that we, uh, last year we helped uh, eight, uh, 208 individuals. Uh, this year already we had a wonderful opportunity to help a young uh, boy uh, and his mother, both who uh, live with a disability, both who uh, kind of had a, a bad situation happen and were, were ended up being kicked out of their home and lost most of their belongings, and this 11-year-old uh, boy uh, did not have a bed. So uh, through, through many of you, we were able to put together uh, a bed and a mattress and a couple sets of sheets and blankets and a pillow uh, and get that to that, that young boy as part of our paper angel closet, although that's not um, you know, specifically in the realm of what we do. Uh, it was something that we were able to do, and so I thank you for that. And we do have appointments um, this Thursday if you want to come and um, hand out some things. Uh, Thursday at 10 o'clock is when we do um, our first appointments. We are going to be talking next week with Love Incorporated about doing um, about doing two weeks a month instead of one week a month uh, to uh, continue to do that. And that's for families in need. We work with One Body Collaborative for families in need. Um, we also work with the school district, and that's where we got the thing with the boy from the uh, regional office of education. Uh, we work with a couple schools specifically. Um, always looking to work with more, so and if you have any uh, insight on that. Um, through Brenda, we are also going to start working with um, in-need cancer patients. Um, many of you who have had family members or yourself been diagnosed with cancer know the strain uh, that can be on the family, um, both uh, spiritually and emotionally, but also financially. Um, so uh, we have, I've made contact with their case manager 
um, at Swedes at the Cancer Center. Uh, and so we will start helping cancer patients who uh, are struggling as well uh, with that. And we've also opened it up to um, any refugee families that come into the greater Rockford area through One Body Collaborative and, uh, and anybody else, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, just help as many people as we can. Uh, so I, I just encourage you to get invested in that as much as possible. Um, I have not looked. I will look this week to see kind of what we're short on, but um, I feel good about what we've done and uh, look really forward to what we're going to be able to do through that ministry. So uh, thank you very much for that. So let us transition now with our um, act of confession. And let me see which one. Yeah, we will read this together. I always forget which one I'm doing here. So let us uh, join together in a, in a time that we can uh, come to Christ uh, with where we are, with who we are, and receive the forgiveness that so many of us long for. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Just take a moment for silence and anything that you personally would like to come to Christ. Know that whatever is on your heart, Christ is willing to accept you to forgive you, to take you into his kingdom. Just take a moment. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us all, on you tonight. Forgive your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Amen. That is good news. And we all pray, right? Lord, if I win the Powerball, I won't be a jerk. Right? I think I heard a couple of those on Facebook this week. I promise. We're good at making deals. I don't know if it's uh, what, th what that is, but we're good at making deals. Lord, if this, then I'll do that. We come, we come every week, and, and for, for, many, uh, for, for many months, years maybe, um, you know, we didn't do a corporate act of confession because we did communion a little differently, and, and I felt that, that that was something we were missing, something that's really important because we need to come together and say, you know what, you know, we're not perfect. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've come across a couple things recently that just need to affirm that in terms of how we understand church. You don't come to church because you got everything figured out, right? You come to church because you don't got everything figured out. And there's other people that don't got everything figured out, so let's get together and not figure it out together, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to do it by yourself, and unfortunately in our world of connectedness, right, where we're, you know, I, I don't know, 800, 900 Facebook friends and who knows how many followers on Twitter and Instagram and all that. I have zero Instagram followers, I know for a fact, because I don't have Instagram. But, you know, all of that thing, right, we got all these people that are connected to us, right? And, and, and they're such great friends, but, but they're not really, it's wonderful, and I love being able to be connected to people around the world. I think it's a great thing for our world, but it, it doesn't replace real friendships, doesn't replace real family. It doesn't replace people that, you know, if, if you're really in trouble, they can be there for you. If you're really desperate, that they can, they can help you. If you're really in a valley, they can lift you up. If you're really on a mountain, they, they can be empowered by you. And, and that's why we do this thing called, called the church. So it's good for us to come together and say, you know what, we're not perfect, um, but that's okay because Christ loves us anyway. If we can just say, hey, we're not perfect. Help, help me try to do better this week. Um, but remember that, you know, this isn't the Roman Catholic Church. Um, you don't have to come to me. You don't have to come to church to do that. 
you know, if you're ever feeling like, man, I'm just not good today, or I'm just not good enough, or I just don't deserve God's love or God's grace or anybody's love or anybody's grace, um, that you can come to Christ wherever you are. You know, whether it's, you know, in your car when you get stuck on the side of the road because the, you know, road is too icy, whether it's, you know, behind the line at the supermarket with the lady in front of you who's paying with like a thousand pennies, right? I'm <laughs> just... As an example, right, in our impatience, wherever it's not, I, I ask for a lot of forgiveness throughout the day for that very reason. But, but you, you can do that wherever you are, and you can receive forgiveness, and this is just a wonderful sign and, and an important sign for that. And so we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. Giving thanks to God, he broke it, and giving it to his disciples, he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took a cup like this, and giving thanks to God, he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember this wonderful act of Jesus Christ. And we pray this prayer. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on all those gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Truly make them be for us your body, that we may be your body of the church, redeemed by your blood for this world and the next. Make us one, as you are one. Amen. I remind you that we practice open table communion here, which means you are welcome at this table, regardless of creed or religious background. You are welcome because Christ welcomes all people. We use grape juice instead of wine and gluten-free bread which looks maybe a little harder to break. So we're going to see that in a second. Did, did you pre-cut it for me? Okay. Uh, but I, I just want to reaffirm that. Um, I didn't say that last week, and that's the kind of thing that bothers me when I forget something like that. This is Christ's table, not my table, not New Life's table, not the United Methodist Church's table, and all people are welcome at this table. So this is the body of Christ broken so you may be Christ's body of the church. And this is the blood of Christ, shed for you so that you may be forgiven and have new life. The table is set. Ask my communion servers to come. Remember, let the band come first. Receive a piece of bread. Dip it in the cup. And then feel free to take advantage of our prayer station or anything else and uh, return to your seat as we become uh, transition to our prayer time.